This is episode 257 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now a word from our sponsor, Control and Compound. Infinite banking in under 60 seconds. We've all got to save our money somewhere, and we think that a high cash value life insurance policy is the perfect place to save it. Why? We're going to save our money inside this policy, and it's going to grow tax-free. Down the road, we're going to get hit with an emergency or an opportunity, maybe a chance to buy a business, real estate property, an income-producing asset, and instead of withdrawing from our savings account, we're going to leverage that asset. We're going to borrow the insurance company's money, and we're going to invest in that opportunity. Our money is still inside of that policy, compounding, uninterrupted, tax-free, and our money's outside in this investment opportunity. We're going to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, all while providing a death benefit for our families. Down the road, we're going to retire. Now we retire with a high cash value life insurance policy with a lot of cash. We're going to start taking those policy loans again, but this time we're never going to pay them back. When I say never, I mean we're going to pay them back with the death benefit when we die, and our families are going to get left with the rest completely tax-free. For more information, visit www.controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have a name you're probably familiar with, uh, Daniel Foch. So Daniel is a real estate investor. He's a Canadian podcast host and sort of data analyst for real estate. Uh, he came onto my radar just from his uh, Instagram reels, which kind of blew up. And it's just him basically talking in front of an article, giving some facts. Uh, he, Daniel is very well studied. He knows his stuff. Um, he can put, uh, we have a lot of similar thoughts on things. It's just he has the technical analysis to back it up. It was a really cool episode. Uh, great discussion with the guy. And uh, yeah, we just went back and forth for uh, over an hour, just kind of running through how he sees the economy, where he sees opportunity, um, you know, what he thinks is going to happen with immigration and how these things are going to affect uh, home prices in the future. So topics like inflation, interest rates, and the future of Canadian home ownership, you're going to get uh, all of that and more here. So uh, a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, the only way it really grows is if you share it, if you tell people about it. Uh, so please do that if you're getting value out of this. And uh, if you're new to real estate investing and you're just kind of looking for the nuts and bolts, I highly recommend going back to that. The first 10 episodes of the show, uh, you know, even first 20, if if uh, that's of interest to you, uh, those earlier episodes are very foundational. We really dug into the basics, whereas now we're more uh, advanced in, and even the questions I ask nowadays are, are much more assuming that there's a base level of understanding already there. So if you're not getting it, that's the appropriate uh, approach and it will definitely help you and I would highly encourage you to come right back up to these current episodes and follow along, ask questions in the comments uh, as you have them and uh, you know we'll make sure we get a response to you. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and jump into the episode with Daniel Foch. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Daniel Foch on the show and uh, I just started seeing your reels on Instagram at some point, yeah. which were just killing it so yeah thanks. and then uh, i looked up your podcast and you guys are doing really well you went from zero to uh, a thousand yeah <laughs> very quickly yeah miles per hour that is yeah. so um yeah but for those who aren't familiar why don't you just give the uh the scoop sure. what your story is yeah uh daniel foch um host of the canadian real estate investor podcast alongside nick hill and um i'm a real estate broker um I mean, I guess most real estate brokers are kind of like at 50% volume compared to last year. So yeah. probably a lot more of like an analyst now as well, doing like a lot of um, research work and analytical work for some clients in the space. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a summary of what I do. And then I take a lot of that research that I'm doing and just kind of like try and repackage it for the public. So yeah, making like TikToks and reels and tweets and I don't yeah. know, I, just, I, I really like making content and just like educating the consumer. So that's that's kind of probably my primary function. And are you finding so like are you mostly the like commercial focused as a broker? It's funny, like not really. Um, I would say like I'm probably fifty fifty. Uh, and I think I, I've always laughed at like the the distinguishing between commercial and residential, especially in Canada. Like mm -hmm. even on like the on, even on the commercial side, like um, most of like the bigger commercial deals are like real residential land development sites right mm. so it's still functionally residential yeah yeah like there's not a ton of like I, I don't sell 
I don't, I don't really even call it commercial because like I don't sell like office buildings. I don't sell re- like the yeah. odd retail plaza, but it's like. But multifamily, I think people go with what yeah. what the lenders are treating yeah, as commercial, right? Like, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. So I guess if it's multifamily, then then yeah, I do a lot of that stuff. I do like a lot of investment, but even investment mm-hmm. still like still houses. It's still like yeah. you know, duplexes, oh, yeah, for sure. fourplexes. But just investor focused, like where you're thinking more about cash for flow sure. and yeah. which is uh, obviously a bit of a unicorn here. Yeah. But it's yeah. still possible. Yeah. Um, and then are you like, so you're helping like homeowners as well? Yeah. I have no, like, I don't, I don't discriminate against clients, right? Like whoever yeah. it is, I'll, I'm happy as long as I have the time. If I don't have the time, then like I'll, I'll send it to somebody on my team or within the shop or, you know, like within the brokerage or within my yeah. network that's better suited to do it. I just like, if somebody comes in and I'm not the best person to serve them, I'll, I'll make sure I can connect them with the best person to serve What's them. What's the brokerage? I'm at Rare Real Estate. Rare? Okay. Yeah. Not familiar with that one. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a smaller brokerage. Um, they're like the the ones with like all the sexy black and white stuff, and nice. you know, like, yeah, very young. Um, uh, I don't know, it's a great, great company. Honestly, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, cool. Yeah. And what's your background? Um, I worked at like a lot of uh, institutions as a co-op, um, and then I did so I, I did a BCom in real estate at the University of Guelph, which is a great program, and and. Um, I got an awesome network from that. I think at, at the time it was one of only two real estate undergrads. Yeah, real estate focused business program. Yeah. yeah. So there was UBCs and then yeah. Guelphs. And now I think Ryerson has one and you're starting to see more evolve. But in the US, it's super common. So it was a it was a BCom, so like a, just a regular business degree, um, but it more focused in in real estate. So that's kind of where I got a lot of like the analytical side mm-hmm. and um, the underwriting capabilities. Um, and then I did a bunch of co-op work, realized that like I loved the industry just didn't really, um, I, w- I just like suck at being corporate. So mm-hmm. took as much as I could and kind of tried to figure out how to build a business out of it on my own. And I, I think it's just so ironically Canadian. Like if you're an entrepreneur in Canada, you're basically a realtor, right? Like it's like the primary stream yeah. of being an entrepreneur. I mean, like, it, it, you yeah, know. like entrepreneurs, like even like you ask accounts, like what's the number yeah. one source of wealth? They'll say, oh, real estate investment. Yeah. Cause they see it. Right. Yeah. So everybody's like to some degree involved in real estate. Yeah. You're saying also a realtor. I'm yeah. not a realtor. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Not yet. <laughs> or were you ever? I thought about it right. a bunch. I was doing yeah. mortgages for a while mm-hmm. and then I just, yeah, I ended up doing construction and development. Now I just do, you know, various entrepreneurial things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I just couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't really imagine or like, I couldn't really figure out a way to make money in the Canadian like business world other than that. It's the most obvious thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people like see that too. And it's contracting now, but I I think a lot of it is like the Canadian economy doesn't have, it's not like the U S where it's like the super diversified economy where, you know, where there's like this huge scope of businesses that you could really do well. in if you just went deep in it. And the mindset there is yeah. just so different yeah, too. For sure. Like the people down there, like the way their brain works and what their expectations are. Like I'm talking about the entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's like way up here. Sure. Canadians are like very. Oh, we'll just keep it very reasonable. Yeah, Americans are like we're gonna go get a billion dollars. <laughs> I think you you can see that reflected in like the way that that either um, co- country's economy is performing. Like mm-hmm. Canadian GDP, real GDP per capita is like falling off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And U.S. like they still like nobody in the world has the capability of squeezing more and more and yeah. more out of out of the oh yeah out of their labor force. Like their GDP per capita output is just still mm-hmm. humming along and growing. And I think a lot of it is like unfor- like whether well it is unfortunate, but it's like that disparity. It's like oh, people yeah. see the economy as like a almost like a casino. It's like you can win. Like you're capable. Oh, yeah. And in Canada, I feel like a lot of people are disenfranchised and don't feel like it's possible to win anymore yeah there's like a big wet blanket thrown on top of it in canada with the regulation and the taxation although like california is similarly taxed and you're gonna find tons of of entrepreneurs there it's gonna just killing it so it is a mentality thing when you boil it right down there's something about canada that's different we're still like we're still the west right like we're not europe like entrepreneurially minded like we're there yeah but we're just like they're our big brother basically yeah yeah and and i think uh, i would argue that a lot of it is like i think it's Canada is like a lot less competitive in a, of an economy. So like in the US, you see, you know, they have 2000 financial institutions. We have five, right? Like yeah. or six, six banks, five telcos, you know, like a mm-hmm. couple of utilities companies. Everything's like oligopolistic in Canada. Yeah. Whereas in the US, it's like they encourage full competition and yeah. like fully capitalistic markets. And so here, like outside of that, all of those other markets mm-hmm. being very legacy driven, the only thing that you can really like that still has that that level of like competitive exchange is the real estate industry and and it's a highly competitive one like 
Um, you have the most realtors per capita in the world in the GTA. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, seventy thousand. Oh, yeah. yeah, and most uh, of them are probably starving right now. Yeah, I mean, it's well. I think I like I just done a chart recently that was like num um, the number of uh, or the dollar volume of real estate transacted per realtor. So like the ratio to n total number of realtors divided by the dollar dollar or sorry dollar value of uh, of the real estate industry, which is down like forty percent year over year. Um, divided by the number of realtors is like the lowest it's ever been. Like oh, yeah. if you go back even like to like the eighties, nineties, right? So probably um, why they're making it so hard to become a realtor in Ontario. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, public perception around the 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 um, the trade is not super high, so I think they had to do. Something. But has it ever been? I feel like people just know. never really point. trust realtors in general. Like I, I mean, you'll have your outliers, right? Like yeah. You're an outlier. My brother-in-law is. He, we do a show together. He's an yeah. outlier. Like. But I feel like most of them, like people kind of just com commoditize them. They just look at them, hey, you're a commodity. Well, you know, a salesperson. Yeah. yeah. Or or people think that like they're all out to get consumers and like, and, yeah. and, um, like a salesperson, like a car yeah, salesperson. Yeah. Or yeah they, that stereotype. Yeah. No, that is the perfect stereotype, though. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's really, I feel like realtors are like that, that, um, and a lot of them earn it. <laughs> yeah, like they just they have commission breath. Like they just want to close the totally. deal to get the commission. I would totally agree. Like I think that the industry really hasn't done itself any favors, especially like since we've gotten into like the economic side of things. Like some of the videos I see people posting about like uh, like even like a lot of my content or like charts that I make or whatever like gets repackaged into people being like, oh, like buy now before uh rates come down come down and it's like mm. or before prices go up and it's like that's not at all what i said like at yeah. all you know so um i and, and i like somebody texted me i don't know recently like a good friend of mine in the industry he's like man i feel like you um you like ruined the industry by creating this like green screen people thinking it's appropriate for realtors to like talk about the economy and i was like yeah i mean i think like it's actually merit to that being like I don't know, like I don't know if it actually ruined the industry, but but it's a bit of a Pandora's box when you get realtors talking about that stuff. You know what I mean? Because some are they don't truly understand it, right? Or, yeah, or it, it, most don't. I would say, mm -hmm. like myself included. Like you should really shouldn't like. And I I, I always like I, my my heading on my on all my profiles used to be like disclaimer. Like I, I have no idea what I'm talking about, and like it's kind of a <laughs> tongue in cheek thing. But it's like it should come with a grain of salt that like yeah. a realtor is the one like, and I just try and share information. I really just try and take information and package it, make it digestible. I try not to opine on it at all. Like share, I really know. I've really noticed that about your content. I'm like, Daniel really wants to say something about this, but he's chosen not to. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's like, did you see the statistic? End of real. Yeah. But then you just let other, you know, people take their meaning on both sides. Well, I ask the audience, cause like for me, it's like, I always want to get a barometer on like what's going on in the market. So like my comment threads are really like where the magic happens and you'll like, and I'll have discussions with people and I always just try and play a devil's advocate. Like I, I try and find like the truth, like what is, and sometimes mm -hmm. people are like, oh, that's like, you're so bearish. It's like, ah, the truth is pretty bearish right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the, um, but I think a lot of people take the, like uh, you get the, this, um, this system now where you're getting like a lot of this information and a lot of it's stuff I'm feeding to, to realtors. Cause a lot of people subscribe to my content and, and then they take it and they run it through their, you know, like little spin machine. And they're like, this yeah. is what, and it, that's a bit of a dangerous thing when I think the majority of consumers are getting pre like repackaged, um, information, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, to your point, though, like you need to understand the motivations of whoever's giving you content. Yeah, there is a, like a bit of a um, caveat emptor, right? Like the buyer beware. Yeah, thing. like if you're if you're on a realtor's page and you're hearing a real, odds are most are still going to say now's the time to buy. Like yeah. most realtors are probably still going to say it. Are right. you saying that? This is the funniest part, and this is the thing I've never got about real estate professionals. It's like, and maybe maybe the the. It's all just in, okay, the agents who are using social media are trying to attract millennial clients, and so mm -hmm. they're more likely to be buyers. Mm -hmm. But, like, by saying it's a good time to buy, you're forgetting that there's, like, another entire side to the transaction. <laughs> right, like, you know? And, yeah. and and so, you know, like, you could use the same fear-based selling. Not This is not advice, by the way, but, like, you could use the same fear-based selling. And if I was the type of person who was trying to do that, like a lot of people argue... I could say this guy is falling and you need to sell all of your houses right now, yeah. right? And it would actually be a better, like it's the same philosophy as FOMO. Yeah. It's just saying you got to exit because house prices are going to drop. Right. Fall, you know what I mean? 
Um, but I always think it's just funny that everyone's like, you got to buy right now. It's like, it's a good way to never represent a seller ever. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just thought the part was kind of fascinating. That is, that is very true. And every, you're right. Everybody just talks about the buyers. Um, just switching back to you for a moment, like yeah. as far as a, like an investor's journey, yeah. um, like what's your interest in real estate? Like what, you know, yeah. what type of stuff do you go after? Um, yeah. So right now, um, I'm, I'm honestly like pretty liquid. Um, so we've been, I've been working with a fund of some great guys that are like more, more sophisticated than I am. I would mm -hmm. say like, I kind of am, am maybe the junior guy in that group and I just try and absorb as much knowledge as I can. And we've been like sort of portfolio building for bigger institutions. So, okay. um, I like, um, so, yeah. So, my, so my thesis is that, you know, I agree that when people say, when they, they show the population growth curve, which just came out again today, by the way. Um, and they say, you know, real estate's going to the moon. Like I agree that population growth is the bull case for Canadian real estate. Yeah. I just see it a little differently than most people. So if you look at the population curve that everyone's sharing, where it's just like a moon, like it literally is just like a hockey stick graph. Yeah. Um, and you look at, but take, um, break that apart and look at non-permanent residents versus permanent residents. So immigration versus mm -hmm. like foreign, um, like temporary, foreign, yeah, temporary yeah. foreign workers, students, yeah. et cetera. Uh, immigration is basically flat now and it, the remainder is coming from temporary foreign workers or, or mm -hmm. uh, other non-permanent residents. And so NPRs, non-permanent residents can't buy real estate. They're banned from it for two years. So, and, and who knows how long that's going to last, but at least for two years, all of that demand is going into the rental pool. Okay. So if you can buy properties that cash flow and and have potential to add units, because that's the next piece is that we're seeing the all levels of government now competing to to upzone properties faster. Mm -hmm. um, then realistically, that's the, the the most incremental value creation that you can do as an investor. So so the the it's not necessarily that you have to buy everything ahead of this huge spike in population is that you have to create more units, right? Yeah. So, so my thesis is like, if you can buy, I mean, if, if I were to say the perfect property, it would be like major arterial road in a smaller, you know, se second tier, third tier market that cash flows. And, you know, the easy calculation probably is you just need a cap rate that's higher mm -hmm. than your cap cost of capital. And I think, right. Like you need it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got your amortization there too, right. Which kind of, right. it's gotta be lesser, you know, so if your cap rates, what seven yeah i mean if you're yeah, yeah. if you're a seven and you're buying you, like a you'd five ideally or six. want your interest rate to be a you know five percent yeah. you know at least just to break even right yeah. that two percent kind of difference and i'm ballparking i'm not looking at a spreadsheet to tell that but yeah um so for you are you are you waiting for a moment to sort of get into the real estate market as an investor or well so i just exited like a portfolio like i'm the the funds would be transferred sometime this week um with the guys that i was mentioning so okay. we brought a family office in to take out my equity gotcha um from a, a portfolio that we built and that was all like uh two three four unit stuff we buy yeah. in like fringe markets mo like two markets in canada so like rural sudbury and then we like the pocket between montreal and ottawa like cornwall especially oh, yeah. great market um and um and i i honestly don't know yet like i think I'm, I'm comfortable being like this is obviously there's a big paradigm shift happening in the economy right now and i'm mm -hmm. kind of just really trying to create my next investment thesis i i like section eight in the us yeah. um like that's a big one for me um that i've been spending probably the majority of my time researching and then i think like i think mli select deals yeah. like development of um smaller mli select deals like six, i think a lot of this infill stuff like you're seeing Vancouver just ups on to six units. Toronto just ups on to four units. Like I think, so, so, you know, in Toronto, you could do two four by four, like two side by side. And that would technically that would meet the MLI select requirement. Hit MLI select. Yeah. So. so I think my only thing is like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide whether or not MLI select actually makes sense. Or if, if it's really just like people rationalizing that it makes sense because you're, you know, you can get a high valuation. So functionally overpay yeah. or over lever the asset and then it spread it out over the asset. Right. Like, yeah. And yeah. So, and so res, multi res is technically overvalued because of MLI select. Yeah, I mean, well, that's why to a degree. Bottom, yeah, that's why the bottom isn't falling out on it. Yeah. Like other asset classes, literally, just because it has. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and industrial is very similar. Like industrial has a ninety five LTV credit product, or pretty close. Like owner occupied industrial operators mm -hmm. can get high loan to value credit through an insurance program. No, through through BDC basically. Okay. Yeah, they have high LTV 
products. I'm trying to think of like the language that they use on their website. So I'm not like saying anything that's behind the curtain, but like they, yeah. they will give owner occupied financing for, for guys who, um, are buying industrial. And, uh, and I think that that's helped support industrial as well. Industrial hasn't really blown out. Obviously the yeah. sub 1% vacancy helps. Um, and same, yeah. like both those asset classes, multifamily and industrial, are sub one percent vacancy in most major markets in Canada. Makes sense. Like you put so many people in the country, we need we need to support them. So yeah, and, the industry and, has to support them. Well, and I think a lot of like your excess demand from retail is moving into the in- industrial space, like because um, it's all last mile stuff, ecom, like that. All, all that like consumption gets moved mm-hmm. into into that environment, and then you're also seeing like this, like that, like the soft industrial, where like you got like a I don't know, like a taekwondo gym or like, you know what I mean? Like a martial arts okay, academy yeah. is like moving into some of these smaller retail or um, industrial formats or like yeah. people call that industrial, but it's not really like that's, you know, it's just commercial property really. Yeah. Um, so industrial, like for, as far as like what most zones are going to allow, like they're not really going to allow office space. Right. Or would they? Well, like employment lands, I guess is like, so you're seeing like a lot of these like logistics parks and yeah. stuff like that. And I mean, they get backfilled with whatever they can, right. To fill like, so yeah. you see a lot of those, I guess like more commercial stuff, but yeah, I mean, in, mm-hmm. like hard industrial doesn't really exist anymore in Canada. That's a fair point. Right? Yeah. Or they're trying to get rid of it as fast as they can. Yeah. Like the Hamilton yeah. Harbor or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 That's fair. So yeah, I like the Section Eight idea too. Yeah. Although, I don't know. Like, what would your angle be? Would you be like getting a group of people together, asset manager, and not involved directly, or would you be <sighs> would you say. be building out an organization yourself to do it? It's tough to say. Like, I'd probably just want to test a couple of deals first and just see what it's like. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of I think I have to take a deal like Cradle to Grave to see like if I can even like the 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 portfolio that we did in Canada the portfolios that we built in Canada and those couple of markets where we brought in a family office like all my partners are still in that in that in that fund and the reason mm-hmm. is because and I'm still a, a very minority investor in the fund but the reason that they're still in it is cuz like they're the GPs like I'm not yeah. I'm just not I'm not really a GP I've learned that like from the process like I'm I think I'm good at like formulating an investment thesis like that whole thesis was mine yeah. um and then I think eventually when it comes to execution like there's way better people. Um, so it's, it's, can I build a team? Do I need to build a team? How easy is it? Like, yeah. I, I just have to kind of go through it all methodically. So I'll probably just buy a section eight, like in the them, next yeah. like year or two. Like, yeah, yeah. probably just, um, what state? I, I don't know. I'm looking at like Ohio, obviously, but like Ohio is like the, everybody goes to Ohio. I know. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, and I don't know why, like maybe we can chat through it. Like, I think, yeah. I, I think a lot of it is like, you're hearing about these like programs with Cleveland where you can go and actually like, um, ask for an increase in the, um, the rent for on section eight. Um, there's a couple of other areas. Um, I don't know if it's just cause it's close to Canada maybe, and people can go down and I manage think that's, them. it's like yeah. one of the closest States that's just so landlord friendly. Yeah, but see, this is the fascinating part. Like with with um, Section Eight, is like I don't know if the landlord friendliness actually matters all that much, right? Because the government's the one paying you, and because, but they could very well destroy your place. But but that, that but aren't they disincentivized to do that because they could lose Section Eight? They lose they Section Eight. So like do, I think yeah. that it's a little bit of like yeah, and, and I'm wondering if there's like almost a bit of an arbitrage to be found. I mean, you can't beat Ohio on a cap basis. I don't think there's a cup maybe like I don't know like Mississippi or like you know. Um, Alabama, there's a couple like areas that we've seen. You're just saying in general because yeah, there's a lot of very low low income cities yeah. in Ohio. Yeah, like they're all pretty much like yeah. Cleveland's like losing population. Youngstown, where I once invested, horribly losing population. Yeah, yeah. And then your Akron, Akron. I don't really know about Akron, but I know Columbus is the only one where it's like a lot of government yeah. and it, it's very like recession proof yeah. and does well. Like it doesn't lose population. So yeah, I mean, I had a stats and data guy come on my show and he yeah. was talking, singing the praises of Columbus. Yeah. Uh, not well, that I've I mean, invested there. Columbus but. is like the one of the things I look at is like, do they have cranes in the sky? And Columbus is like building high rise right now, so it's like, yeah, eh, okay, like somebody Seems to somebody, be a desirable somebody town. made a way bigger bet than I yeah. did on that city, so like maybe you know, but yeah, but it, but it is way more expensive, element. right? Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah exactly. So more expensive. You're, the you're, caps are like a hundred bips less than all the other cities that we just named. So right, so I guess it comes down to, you know, do you believe that in a recessionary environment, if that's where the U.S. is going, and we'll yeah. get to that because you're you're the guy to ask. Yeah. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know, <laughs> and, and other reasons. But uh, yeah, so do you believe that those cities will do well? Yeah, and yeah, I am curious. Like, what is, what is your outlook on you know the next twelve months? Because so many of the viewers of my podcast now are U.S. like investors, right? Canadians, but investing in the U.S. Yeah, and uh, like, what what do you see coming? Do you think like I mean, 
everybody's been thinking recession for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. And then the idea of a soft landing where we'll, they'll start to decrease the interest rates as, mm -hmm. um, as the recession proves itself. What are your, what's your outlook? I think, I think Canada and the U S are very different, like in that respect. And I think most people would agree with that. So my, what I think would happen, like what I think happens is that the, this bank of Canada has to cut a lot further than the fed and that it, ultimately results in devaluation of the Canadian dollar. Mm -hmm. And we end up with an, we, we end up with the Bank of Canada being comfortable with an inflationary regime for a period of time. I think they've kind of like accepted that we're in an era of fiscal dominance and they can't outcut how much the current administration is going to spend. Yeah. Right. Like the, like the government is always going to outspend however much inflationary deflationary impact they can have, I think. Yeah. And that's so that's fiscal dominance. And so um, they might just kind of concede defeat on on three percent. I mean, we're at like that three point one, right? Yeah, we're at three point one and yeah. and and a hundred bips of that, like literally a third of that three point one is mortgage interest. And so once mm -hmm. we're once we're either over that curve or they cut that back out, you can be in that two to three range without issues. Yeah. Um, the challenge becomes like there's if you like inflation is pretty easy to actually like guess what it's going to be six months ahead. If you just look at last year's curve, mm -hmm. like, was there a big spike in, cause there was a big spike in oil and yeah. it's like, it's just base year effect. Right. So yeah, you're just drawing a line from this point last year to this point this year. And if you just like ride the price curve of most things, you can kind of forecast what it's going to be. Um, BMO is, is like really good at it. They they've done a lot of um, forward looking analysis on, on inflation. Like, when Christy Freeland took the victory lap at like 2.6 inflation and BMO was like, inflation is going to be three point whatever next month. I called it do exactly what it was going to be because yeah. you can see it on the price curve. Um, so I think Canada could be comfortable with inflation and kind of like a more stagflationary economy literally just because um, it's the only way to, to kind of like solve all of the problems that that we have ahead of us so we have a pension system that without admitting it like is is going to run into some problems like mm -hmm. we're currently not yeah. at the replacement rate we need to be it's why they ha are pushing they for immigrate, yeah. yeah it's why they're pushing for such a massive population growth and they're still not even hitting it like i think we mm -hmm. need to be closer to a three to one um working to uh retiring rate and we're like closer to a two to one okay um and and so that so that's a big problem uh, entitlements that entitlement system could face some challenges alongside like a, a bunch it's not a cheap country to run when you have like free health care etc and so you yeah. need to keep in the, the way they spend base. right yeah like, no, i mean well that yeah i mean even like I if agree. you put like i don't know what their deficit is yeah. now but through you know the, the era of the lockdowns going you yeah. know hundreds of million or hundreds of billions in the red you know like it's obviously stupid and those effects of inflation would have played out would you agree with that? If they just stopped spending in deficit, those effects would have just played out without an interest rate hike. Yeah. To a large degree, maybe you still have to slow, cool things off with an interest rate hike. But it, it, in essence, if you just stop the overspend, it, the, the effect plays out and then people can go back to normal. But as long as they keep spending that way, they're going to have to keep sucking up the extra dollars with interest. Yeah. I, I guess it's tough to say because like there is, that that's a big increase in your money supply as well. Mm -hmm. And so that can have like it, with you have compound sounds right yeah well hypothetically like in modern monetary theory it should compound like it should go out and earn a return and then they can tax it back out because like there was there what is the the current holdings rate with the banks like what's the requirement now because it used to be 10 percent. you had to hold 10 cents for every dollar you lent out yeah is it it's not it's nowhere near that much now as far as i understand but i'm actually not even sure what it is anymore yeah i'm not sure either honestly so that's the creation of money though right the banks get deposits they can lend that money back out so you're right if you increase your supply all of a sudden it's going to play out more and more over time yeah um yeah and and i think there's a lot of wealth creation that like you can't that that um took place during that period of time the inflation of assets like yeah. everyone if everyone's house until like until that like until you see deflation in that asset class like mm -hmm. if people can still go and get and top up their loan to value on yeah. on their house and pull money out of the atm and go yeah. and spend it like there's still so much that needs to to mm -hmm. deflate before you're like in the clear i think 
Um, so do you see real estate values coming down for years to come? It's, you know, it's, it's an, it's such a good question. I, I can, I can explain kind of like why either one would take place, but I think the reason to go back to the inflation thing, like I think the reason that they would be comfortable with in long-term inflation is because they need values to stay or to come back. Um, because it, that would relieve a lot of pressure from the pension system. If boomers are just wealthy enough from their assets that they're not like, you know, they're not too reliant on the pension system. So you're just kind of narrating this yourself. Yeah. Hypothesizing. Right. So it's like that. And then, and so this is where I, this is what really led me to the U S thing. It's like, how do I get levered exposure to USD? Right. That was like, that was my thought on like, you buying U.S. property. So and you think like, the U.S. dollar is going to be more resilient than the Canadian dollar? Well, if I just look at Canada versus the U.S., like the U.S. So in 2008, the U.S. solved their credit addiction, right? Mm-hmm. They had they had a, a comparable credit addiction to what we have today, and, and we just started ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both central banks dropped their interest rates to near zero. C- Canada left theirs there for a long time, started increasing it a little bit in like... Uh, like 17, 18, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then kind of had to come back down. Well, that in was twenty. The Fed, that came down. The Fed yeah. was cranking it up a little bit at that at that point too, yeah. and I think it was the rest of the world was kind of like, "No, you guys got to back off a little bit." Um, but I think what what seemed to take place was like Canadians just got started getting hooked on credit, and that was kind of like when real estate really, really started roaring here. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like everyone was buying a McMansion and a white BMW and, you know, everyone in the Canada was in the middle class and whatever. And, and the, and the, and the definition of the middle class really changed here. And so we still need to pay the piper for like that, that whole period of excess. It's like Canadian, we just, we just reached our all time high in household indebtedness again, right? 118% uh, debt to household income. Um, The U S is like at, less than 100% or 100%, right? Um, The only other comparable countries that are like have as high household indebtedness as we do is like Switzerland and the Netherlands, I believe, uh, and maybe Australia. And all of these, like regardless of what rates are at, it doesn't doesn't matter if rates come down to 4%. Like it's just, that's still just a reduction in the borrowing cost of money that we still owe as Canadians. And our economy isn't growing anymore Mm -hmm. on a per capita basis. It's shrinking on a per capita basis. So there's really no way that Canadians will be able to deleverage to pay that all back mm-hmm. unless the value of a dollar decreases, yeah. right? And like in and so it's inflating away that household indebtedness, yeah. the relative cost of that household indebtedness. And so I could see the central banks saying, we're okay, we're okay cutting either further or earlier or whatever, diverging from the Fed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um especially if oil's still high, because that kind of keeps our currency up a little bit, but diverging from the Fed a little bit to reduce the, the buying power of Canadian dollar to stimulate foreign demand or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Like you can bring a lot of people back into the Canadian economy, investing in real estate, cheap, investing yeah. by making Canadian dollar cheap. Um, and then also just like bringing, resurrecting that inflation as a, as a tool to yeah. kind of like solve. I think, I think it takes like, it takes a problem that should be, it should be on the burden of all of the people who are way over levered, mm-hmm. who need to deleverage. And it spreads it across the entire economy. It's very communist. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and most people would argue that, like, that's kind of from a policy perspective, yeah. the direction our country is heading. And, like, I, yeah. I, I try and stay out of, like, actual policy, politics, whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I yeah. read a lot about it, but, like, I don't, it's yeah. like, I don't know. But it, it's plausible that, like, yeah. that would, so if I were to guess, like, that's kind of what the way things are are headed. Hi friends, I just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. 
So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. I, I agree with you on a policy um, side of things, like even like the rhetoric that you kind of hear out there, it's like, well, communism hasn't really been done right. You know, socialism gets right. a bad rap. You know, they never really did it. You, you got your Mao and your Stalin and they, you know, they just killed people. It didn't work. You know, right. if we had an altruistic leader, we could, we could do it right. Um, and yeah, I agree. There's, there's obviously we move left and left as we kind of yo-yo back and forth a little bit to the right when, you know, the conservatives come in every eight years and, you know, they don't really ever move anything back to, towards the right. They just kind of slow things down and then we you know, go back to a heavier push. It seems that's my, my take on it. Um, the challenge with like communism from my perspective is like, if you read Das Kapital, which is like the textbook for, for, um, like so, uh, Marx's work prior to the Communist Manifesto, with the what she did with Engels, um, it was like that um, communism has to be built on the back of a strong capitalistic system. And so you mm -hmm. look at China and the way that they're like they're open about you know trying to implement a more purely mm -hmm. Marxist system, um, and that's why they came up with these economic zones that that are allowed like full full blown capitalism, and that and that you have to to build it on the back of that because communism right. causes growth, and the growth is necessary to have a strong enough system to properly distribute everything who knows whether or not they're like now like oh we're actually really good at this capitalism stuff like maybe we should just mm. you know get rid of that one but it seems like they're still like bringing large businesses into the state and yeah, all of those sure. things and but canada doesn't ha even have that like we have like we have like a legalistic we have like some legalistic businesses like we like i described earlier in the in the episode like telcos etc so yeah. you know you already have these like very easily distributed like things that they they could just start bringing in but we don't have mm -hmm. like an actual strong capitalist capitalist system that's like a diversified economy yeah. you know like our, our economy is like those all those oligopolistic businesses and then like a bunch of resources that we sell to the states that they sell yeah. back to us and then housing yeah that's 100%. like it really right yeah we don't have that much industry like if if canada was really doing what canada should be good at you know we would we would have a lot of people who work with their hands and help with the mining of minerals and things yeah. like that needed for the rest of the or world or even the creation of housing like that's a fascinating that's, one because like yeah. did you hear that B the bank of canada presser where they're like they pushed him like a couple of times on i can't remember which which banker it was but they were like so of 1.2 million um, people who moved to Canada, like the population growth that we saw last year, how mm -hmm. many people work in construction? It's like none. <laughs> it was 455 people. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah. yeah so I could solve the housing crisis and a heck of a lot of the inflation problem by reducing the, the cost of housing with very simple approach. Cut all taxes, cut all development charges across the country on all new construction. Cut the regulations back to what 1990 standards were for home building and just get people in the door, drop all your standards, drop like anything you can do to drop minimum uh, requirements, uh, you know, keep it reasonable. Sure. You'll bring developers back into this country and and they'll go on steroids. Like, yeah, I think they're doing something like the wartime housing uh, yeah. approach. I, I don't ever want to put that in the government's hands that, you know, that's just not a wise well, thing Well, it's literally do. just like a, it's just like a booklet of architectural plans like oh okay it's so like they're not going to start their own company and no. like they did before and no. build them all no yeah. well i mean that's a good way to bring the uh, per square foot buildable costs up by yeah three, a lot three right because anything they touch is just like ridiculously pay, overpriced yeah. right like i just noticed like I, I built very recently in the u.s and like we're hard costs of like 110 yeah. square foot here you're like three times that yeah and yeah. like on average yeah it's it's absurd in a city with a lower uh, lower average income. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're, I'm, I'm referencing Southwest Florida, which their average incomes are a little lower relative to the property prices because it's more expensive there. Yeah. But still, like, you know, way more affordable than here. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking, like, if they really want to, you know, don't tax their income, like, give, give developers every incentive and then give municipalities every penalty for slowing them down. It's the, like, the MERB program was like that where they would allow, like, private entities to, uh, build in this this is the 60s and 70s and they're i think they're trying to they're really trying to borrow from that in present day the problem is it's still just credit fueled right it's still just mli select yeah. it's like okay how much can yeah. we how much can we indebt these people yeah you know what i mean and, and strap them to government yeah. debt like for 50 years now we're yeah. on fi like 50 year ams like now you've basically bonded out in in to the tune of 60 billion dollars you've bonded out the canadian economy on mortgage-backed securities for for 50 years like if you're issuing 60 billion dollars yeah. worth of 
MLI select debt today. Yeah. I mean, not all of it's on 50 year AMs, but like even if it's on 30, 40, tw- yeah, yeah, even 25, like it's like you're, you're bonding out that amount of capital mm-hmm. into the housing market today. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's going to get a lot of housing built, to be honest with you. But yeah, well, they, they need to. I just like, I think abstractly sometimes, as I think you do too. And I just like, I'm like, how many people actually make real tangible things anymore? You know, like if we just sit here, I mean, content, you could argue, is that tangible? Sure. Okay. Let's exclude that from, from the mix. But I mean, the amount of people who sit behind a desk work on a computer versus people who grew things in a garden, Mm -hmm. put, you know, framed a house and stood walls, Mm -hmm. you know, did things where there's a real result at the end of the day. Like the latter is going to be needed in the hardest of times. For sure. But the, the, the former isn't necessarily. For sure. That's so would Canada, what would Canada's dynamic look if they really started encouraging people to do that? Right. Cause I don't know what it was like when you were in high school, but when I was, it's like, you were like missing out unless you went to university. Like yeah. you, you had to be going to university. Yeah. Skilled trades. No, nah, no, nah, nah. that's like, what's what the plebs do. You, yeah. you, you want to go. I know. University. And it's, it's so ironic in hindsight. Cause like everyone, like I grew up in a small town where like most of my friends went into the trades. Trades. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was in university, they were doing their first year apprentice, second year, maybe buying a Making house. Making money. Three, yeah. bought, they bought a house in like their yeah. third year apprentice. They're so much further ahead yeah, than, like they, than so, most people. Yeah, not so no debt. They own a house. They got in the housing ladder like four to five years earlier than everyone else. Like I know guys that are like multi, multi-millionaires just because they bought, you know, they 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 built a skilled trades business during the period of time where like everyone else was studying. Just going and then, debt, yeah. yeah, and then in their entry-level job paying student loans, like, you know, yeah. w- living at home with their parents. Like it, it was like a 10-year head start. It really was if you like think, you know. Yeah. And and I don't know, like I, 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 would, I would imagine it's probably still that way. Oh yeah, like I don't want to encourage my son to go to university. Right. As much as like I met my wife there, like we had so much fun in university. Yeah. Like partying, being idiots. Yeah. You know, and I don't necessarily encourage all that, but I mean, I had fun. Yeah. But I, I'd rather him have that start. I'd rather him be resourceful. And, right. And yeah. Learn. I don't know if those are like I don't know if like partying, having fun, like learning how to do laundry, like meeting pretty <laughs> girls is like is like a necessary thing like a part of the like the human experience it's i don't like, think it, it's natural well, it's I don't. Just, yeah it's just not setting people yeah. up for like Success we don't need to all. yeah we don't need to centralize that like experience I mean, it doesn't need to be four years long either you know no. it's like to me it's like you can do all of those things but i think like getting out of school and like being product a productive contributing member of like the economy is probably the most rewarding uh, oh, thing yeah. from like a personal development perspective that you can possibly do. Well, and then if you have your home, like if you have, and this would solve the population crisis, if everybody just went into skilled physical trades and started making money right away, they'd feel like they had their shit in order a lot sooner. And what do people do once they feel that way? They have kids. Mm-hmm. They start a family. All the ones that are waiting until they've got it figured out at like 37 years old mm-hmm. and then say, oh, okay, I think I think this is about as good as it's going to get for us. <laughs> Let's start now. Yeah. You know, it, it changes the outlook. I think it's a different value system as well. Like I look at all, all of my friends and like, I'm this is just coming like I'm thinking out loud here, but like I look at all my friends in the trades and like they were the ones who have kids and like yeah. all of my friends in, who, you know, who I met from university and who were like, they're just starting, but all my friends who were in the trades have, you know, like I, I had kids early. So all my friends in the trades had kids early at the same time as I did. And like, but otherwise yeah. like anyone who, um, is more from that knowledge work world. Like it does. It's like, it's a big waiting thing. It's like the, the, like Canada will be carried on their backs. Like the kids yeah. that these people have, it's crazy. but the nice thing is, is the kids are likely to do what their parents did. So like, yeah. it's almost like it'll naturally bring back the trades that they'll, they'll have to, cause they'll see their parents did yeah. it. They'll get into it. How many kids do you have? Two, two, how old? Six year old and uh, four months. Four months? Yeah. Oh, you're in it. Yeah. Wow, okay. yeah, yeah. I got a two-year-old. Nice. Yeah. It's a great age. Yeah. I, I just, like, you guys waited a good long time before deciding to do it to yourselves again. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, two two separate parents. But, oh, yeah. okay. But, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, but I did, I suppose, wait, wait yeah. a long time. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's tough for me to even fathom doing it to myself again. But uh, of course I want to, and I will, but that, yeah. uh, that's the plan anyway. I, I feel yeah. like it's like, um, yeah. like the ultimate calling, you know, like it's just oh, like yeah. it's something, it, it is, it is like, I'm, I'm definitely, I forgot, like a lot of people are like the sleep. It's like, it's not that honestly, it's like, you want to spend so much time with your kid, but you also like have to pr- provide, yeah, you know, like yeah. do work. 
all of these things. And so it, the balance is just tough. Like just being able to have it all. Yeah. That's you know? the hard thing for me is cause like, I don't like, I actually feel guilty if I go like eight hours away from home and don't see my son yeah. a little bit, a little part of me, especially if he was doing like something really like cute when I got home, I'm like, Oh man, I missed it all. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the hard part. It is a hundred percent. It is. Yeah. It's and oh, with that being said, like I found like I have really bad ADHD and I found actually that like being, becoming a parent, Help me to like learn to prioritize things properly because like there was actually like a reward system. It was like if I do my work, I can be more mindful when I'm spending time yeah. with my with my family, right? And so um, that that was, and I feel like big, it's being productive too. Like for me, it's like actually seeing results, like in what I'm doing in my business. If I actually see like, oh, I accomplished this today, yeah. Now I can feel way more present when I go home. Yeah. But if I if I had an unproductive day, I, I agree with what you said completely. It, it, I'm like half there when yeah. I'm home. And that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, my your wife will yell at me. Your work or <laughs> She'll yell at yeah. me for it too. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you just zoned out? I'm like, damn it. Yeah. I'm still doing Thinking work in my head right now. <laughs> I'm still writing emails over here. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, cool, man. All right. Yeah. So so let's talk about strategies and what people need to know. Because like yeah. you're the analyst, as you were saying, yeah. off camera, um, which I think, man, people eat that up. They love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it, I think that right now, Policymakers on on both the central bank and the government um, are very clear about what's going to happen, and, and people just don't want to hear it, right? Like everyone's like, everyone's wants to tell their friends and clients to buy now before house prices go up. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if we look at the the curves of what's going on with population and what's happening on the pol- in the policy environment, it's like sure, buy buy now if you want, but the out- they're increasing the output of of single family residential land right now in mm-hmm. real time. And so you can see it happen. So uh, a single family lot this time last year in Toronto was you could build one house on it. And mm-hmm. today you can build four houses on it, right? Or four, four houses, units, four, or four units, units, yeah. That's right. right. And so if we're if we're looking at the population curve and primary growth is coming from the non-permanent resident, uh, residents, um, those people right now they're they're banned from buying real estate but let's say eventually they're not statistically they rent for three years uh, statistically permanent residents rent for three years before purchasing mm-hmm. um and that's that's now been extended by the cost we don't know how much but like it has been extended by the cost of buying it takes longer to save for a house do you think all these nprs are going to eventually like a, a large percentage of them are eventually going to become permanent residents so the government like just came out with or just teased that they're going to come out with a, a basically a stream for NPRs to become PRs. Okay. And I think the reason is if you look at the curve, you can see PR applications have tapped out. Like they can't uh, attract people at the CRS scores that they wanted yeah. into the immigration stream. And so they're going to tap that stream yeah. of people who are already here to become permanent residents. Interesting point you bring up. Cause that, that was actually one of those things I worried about. Cause I used to say, Hey, like, I don't know where values are going to land because I know people, they just keep immigrating people like crazy. Mm-hmm. I know you've explained the re- rationale for why they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we have force of interest rates push, pushing house prices down and then we've got immigration pushing them up and where do we land? And of course there's other factors too. Uh, but what if they pull the rug out on the immigration? Like what if they can't sustain it? Because people start getting here and realizing, Hey, it's cold and I can't afford a house and I can't afford food. I'm going back to India. I still don't think they're there yet. I think the Indians come here. They're still so grateful. I uh, and and I, I think it's starting. Like you, yeah. there's there's data points. Like I haven't been able to verify a lot of these data points, but like forty um, percent decrease in um, student applications from India. Um, yeah. An Indian publication put that out. Um, but you know, I mean, like there's it's just like um, the way that uh, the education system begins to because the education system mm-hmm. is really what's driving this. So yeah. it doesn't matter what the government does. Um, education system was originally tra- um, targeting like STEM career um, students from um, from China originally, and then then re- gradually started to replace that with the sort of community college system, um, which is honestly exploitative of, of a lot of the people who are moving here um, and attracting students from from India. And I think the word is getting out that like it's not a good deal, right? It's not a good deal for these yeah, students who are coming. Talk in. to their family back home. It's got yeah. to get out. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think when the people who are writing the checks back home realize, okay, I like my um, child went through this program, now can't qualify for PR because mm-hmm. they because the degree that they got was insufficient to, yeah. be, like the the institution didn't get them a good enough job. Now they can't uh, get a CRS score, and so the whole yeah. system broke because they designed it poorly. Um, and 
now it's like, okay, well, do we go to another, you know, like, does the, does the education system target another country, which you're starting mm -hmm. to see happen with, you know, with other countries. Um, I don't think like, I think that we'll be able to sustain, um, a pretty high level of immigration indefinitely. The question is, is it going to have a net positive effect on the economy? And yeah. and not just for like the Canadian economy, like the economy is all of us, right? It's all of these NPRs, it's all of these PRs mm -hmm. where GDP per capita can grow. Real GDP yeah. per capita can grow. Because if you can't grow your GDP per capita, then the pie is just getting bigger and everybody's still getting less of it. Yeah. And so, and that to me is like, it's, it's not a recipe for us. If people want, and, and not to say the U.S. is the right model, but if you want the same economic output of the U.S. or productivity of the U.S., if you want like the same um, ability for a middle class to exist, then it, you have to have that that GDP per capita has to be growing, and it's not, and it, yeah. and it's not in a big way. Like where uh, is it right now? It's it's at like twenty eighteen levels. Okay. Real GDP per capita is at like twenty eighteen levels. Yeah. So so we've lost five so years of economic progress. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so everyone who's coming here, you know, if they're assuming they were getting 2020, 2021 um, levels of wage, whatever, um, that's, they're not, right? And so the only way that you can really, like the, the economy needs to diversify and it needs, we need to start investing in, in the things that are necessary to actually grow the economy. You can't just grow it with the number of people. And I think they're learning that reality now kind yeah. of in a hard way. Like, wouldn't it just make so much sense for them to say, path to permanent residency is somebody with a skilled trade if you can build houses like if you can yeah i, I mean carpentry is different over there they don't even really use the same building material so it doesn't right. work that well they'd have to like educate yeah, them on yeah how. i mean like this yeah. but like like rather than like it doesn't matter if it's the like if somebody already has the trade because we're not attracting people and like this is the thing educating where, like, them here exactly yeah. it's like why yeah. aren't we pushing all of these students into the trades programs rather than some like degree that doesn't even qualify them for the what they want yeah. which is pr at some strip mall college like really yeah. that's a very broken system and they're getting let down it's like yeah. regardless of like any I, I would i won't even touch on like any consequences to immigration other than like the consequences that exist for the people who are immigrating here and yeah. that like it's very clear to me you can see it there taking yeah. place right that they're the ones being let down by the system so um the thought here is like from an from a uh, from a real estate investing perspective is like the government. If you just look at long term cycles of of countries, um, look at Europe for example. In two hundred years ago, everyone wanted to to migrate to Europe. It was a better life that, and they could migrate to Europe because there was land. You know, like before airplanes existed, right? You could you could travel along land to migrate to Europe and in search of a better life for your family, and so um that took place um it inflated the values of homes homes started getting like look at uh, london as an example flats are like old townhouses that are cut up into multiple units um now you see homeownership in decline like if you look at country pick countries out of europe that like um canada might want to be like do they want to be like romania probably not romania has a 90 percent homeownership rate do they want to be like switzerland Probably Switzerland has like a homeownership rate in the 40s, I think. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going. The writing is on the wall. You can see it. So homeownership rate is in decline. They are encouraging existing asset holders to create more units from existing assets because it's the easiest way to incrementally yeah. increase supply. It's most agile. You can yeah. go get a building permit. Now they've upzoned everything. Go get a building permit. It's You're going to spend 100 bucks a foot creating a unit in your basement apartment rather than 600 bucks a foot that a high-rise developer is going to create. No development charges on yeah. it. It's immediate, right? And it cuts up existing supply, which we already know we're overhoused. We have the third largest houses in the world. Oh, third largest square footage. square footage per capita in the yeah. world, right? And you can see, yeah. Then you go look at the U.S. Um, number of people per household has been was in decline for like since Confederation, right? So, so like 250, 300 years. It just in twenty fifteen started to increase again. Why? Because people, household consolidation is taking place as a, for, as, a, as a result of a lack of affordability. The same thing's taking place in Canada. Yeah. Fastest growing uh, housing tenure type is roommates in Canada, right? Yeah. 
So it's and a, I, I've experienced this yeah. as a landlord. Like yeah. you see, like multiple um, tenants moving in together. So I, I sign with one group of tenants, and they bring in their brother-in-law and his right. family to like offset right. the rent. I'm like, okay, well, I don't like this. But right. yes, that's obviously the direction it was going to go. Yeah, it's happening here, and now you can formalize it by chopping it up into separate units. They're telling you, like they're yeah. literally telling you exactly what they Chop want to up. see done. And 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 it doesn't matter how much we want to push back on it as as a as a country if people want if people are like ah you know it's like world economic forum you'll own nothing and be happy and like they don't want you know they're mm -hmm. trying to take away the canadian dream of home ownership it's like okay cool if you want the canadian dream of home ownership to come back and you want everybody to have a single family detached house that they own and have a mortgage on you need house prices to go down mm -hmm. right that's the only way uh, or you yeah. need interest rates to go back to 0.25 percent, and that's not good that's not yeah. economically productive so um i mean if you line up all of these things, I think I covered pretty much like every factor in the economy that matters like to me and just look at them. It's yeah. like, that is a, the exact outcome. You can see it. It's, yeah. it's like, and mo moving towards investment and institutional ownership, it'll be mm -hmm. a K-shaped recovery where asset holders are on the top rung and yeah. non-asset holders are on the bottom rung. And, P and it, that'll be likely as a result of inflation, not extreme inflation, blah, yeah. blah, blah, whatever. It's like 4%. If you own an asset, your asset's going up at 4%. If you don't own an asset, your buying power of yeah. your money is going down at 4%. And that's where the middle class exists yeah. and it, or, or disappears. And and so you want to – that's why – you don't want to buy, buy real estate because it's going to go up or because mm. rates are going to come down or whatever. It's because, like, that's the last bastion of, of mm. being able to, to – um, be part of probably the top rung of that that economy from my perspective because yeah. like just go look at countries that are 100 years ahead of us on their long-term mm -hmm. migration cycles population cycles whatever more advanced economies germany switzerland etc go look at what the urban areas look like young people all rent if you mm -hmm. live they they rent then they meet their mate in the in the urban area and then they move out into the suburbs into the family home and it's a multiplex right yeah and it gets handed yeah. down by generation to generation and there's a 30, 40 year mortgage on it, or it's been in the family for 200 years. And it's just like, do you think we're gonna have that here? Yeah, I do. Multi-generational family home. I feel like here the parents sell the home and go uh, on a cruise or downsize. If they can afford to though. They, but go like, down, they downsize. Yeah, but what happens if yeah. like, what happens if pension isn't mm. there? Like, or what, what happens if, mm. if pension, it doesn't keep up with mm. inflation? Like it, it, it's, it all, sure that all, I think that's the plan. Yeah. But like, how many people can actually afford to do that? Yeah, right now, I've I've definitely seen what you're saying in Europe. Like, we have you know, friends in Austria. That's like pretty much exactly what they did. They right. severed actually a, a piece of land off their parents' land right. and built their house right, right next to it. And that would be probably the more uh, lavish way of doing it. Otherwise, you're just gonna you know move into the basement until mom and dad are gone, and uh, you know do it that way. But that's what's gonna happen. Like, yeah. I mean, you got you have baby boomers who have. And, and like this is where I, I wonder if like there really is like a major recovery available to your your um, four bedroom McMansions in mm -hmm. the suburban GTA or suburban any major yeah. city in Canada. It's like that. I, I think that the government put the floor in with this policy where it's like now the output of that that building that McMansion is four units. Yeah, but because otherwise, I mean who are the boomers going to sell that to because you and i can't afford it right or like our generation can't mm -hmm. afford it and so they're going to get cut up into multiple units and maybe the baby boomers are going to bring their kids in and they they get to age in place and i mean yeah. everywhere else in the world does this like it's it probably is more naturally humanistic you yeah. know what i mean to to co for us to coexist in like the same living space as family members and it takes a village oh, to raise a child and sense. totally agree so like yeah there's no i don't know like it's just like I think it's going to start happening. And as you start getting a, a Canadian population that is more and more influenced by a global population mm -hmm. through immigration, population growth, et cetera, yeah. just becomes more commonplace. I mean, everywhere else in the world does it yeah. like everywhere else in the world has, except for like the places with the three biggest houses per capita in the world, Australia, us and Canada. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's just given like that. That's where the, the horizon that I'm investing for real estate yeah. on all of that takes place in that that 30 to 50 year horizon. What's interesting is like that model, I believe was actually a, probably a lot more common in Canada and the US maybe a hundred years ago. Like they would have lived yeah. with their family. Yeah. Like it would have gone, they would yeah. have had the family homestead. They would have gone back to sure. it, you know, gone out, found a wife, brought her home or whatever, like something along mm -hmm. those lines. And then it kind of changed away. But then for natural reasons, it seemed like it will seemingly come back. 
I think it all, I think a lot of it was like people were sold like individualism, right? Like, yeah. and that it was like you had to like it's the university thing. It's like you got to go live. Right, on you got to go have your experience. Like, like yeah. find out what I want to do with my life. Well, what yeah. about just do something productive? Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, what if not? Don't have every fucking answer. Just yeah. go out and start producing. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. And like, and I think a lot of these families, like they, they where the kids stay home uh, well into their working lives, it's like, well, you know, you can come home to a home cooked meal every night because yeah. you know my parents are retired and like they're and yeah. it's clean and you don't have to focus on a lot of the things that. Yeah. you that that are that are time mm -hmm. sucks right yeah because you're going like you're you're spending yeah. think about how many like we just talked about how hard it is to like have kids and balance a work life it's like yeah. how much time and energy you're spending on like running your nuclear family oh yeah you know that could be going to your to being economically productive and so i i yeah. honestly think that that's just the direction that we're heading i know it's like really out there and like you're saying like really abstract but like to me the writing's on the wall it's like that's the direction we're heading yeah, I think that would be actually really healthy for, for society. Yeah. So, I mean, to to bring this right back around, because I think you you mentioned the hedge, you you wanted to be in U.S. dollars or you wanted to have some money mm -hmm. in U.S. dollars. I was thinking that too. Like I would, a lot of hedges I wanted against Canada, the dollar, the politics, yeah. like just tons, you know, the tax system, just ridiculous. Like mm -hmm. it's great if you already have assets outside the country, it, it's a lot easier to leave if you want to. Yeah, um, for sure. So that's why I started buying outside the country uh, it sounds like that's kind of your next move sure. too, yeah. as an investor. Would you see a case for investing here, you know, this year, next year? Because um, I can see some cases for that, but you I got you got to make it on the buy. Um, yeah, or you make it on on like there's a lot of incremental value creation when you own an asset in Canada. Yeah. So like, if make I, it with a plan, you're saying make it because you have plan to add units yeah, or add it, value. Yeah, if I could yeah. buy like old yeah. craftsmen, like uh, you know, like red brick century homes and like. Yeah key core areas that yeah. I can multiplex super easily and I just have like a perfect system for that yeah I would do that for sure yeah like, like I, I love the idea of being a, a housing creator in an economy that like to me the way that you can fight back against all of the things that you just yeah. described is by like trying to fix the problems yeah. that someone is creating right somebody else in the economy is creating mm -hmm. and so being a housing creator is like the one of the most and like we're just sitting here saying like oh everyone needs to be in the trades it's like well we should be cre creating housing too then right we mm -hmm. gotta we like can't be hypocritical so yeah i mean if i could and that that's one of the areas that i really do want to to start deploying capital in canada is like multiplexing um adus i mean we're really yeah. using the, po the podcast platform as a way to kind of like do that and so um ideally like building mli select deals um or yeah. or taking existing housing stock and cutting it up into four units like looking for a land partner like especially because like the problem is i can't like i actually i've run them them numbers in like a toronto as an example acquisition cost of like buying something and then converting it you like no lender is ever going to touch the deal so you have to do it basically all cash or like 50 percent cash or get private money in, right in the which interim. i just like it's not that's not my model right yeah like so um if you could find an owner who has a piece of land and build out the system, right? Like, and I'm not saying this is something I want to do, but like, I think that that's where a lot of these things are taking place. Cause mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who are good, sophisticated owners who own real estate in the GTA who own residential lots in the GTA that don't have a developer partner to come on and build the sixplex or whatever it is, right? There's a lot of good landholders that have good landholders yeah. have a ton of equity. So you'd go in and partner with them. I think somebody's going to tap that equity. Like, I think that's a 100%. huge opportunity. I think so that's just conversations to be had. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, cautiously optimistic about Ontario right now. I, I know that it could go a couple of different ways and it depends on which force is stronger, whether values are up or down. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like a lot of people just are thinking different province, go to the US, all that stuff. So if you're one of the ones that's still sending out some letters or making offers or making mm -hmm. phone calls, you're gonna you're gonna have the seller's ear. Mm -hmm. Like you, you're gonna be able to negotiate stuff that you couldn't negotiate two years ago. So to me, that right there is the opportunity. Not to say like, I mean, I am keeping an eye and I, you know, I'll, I'll do something here if I find it to be a great deal, but I still have, you know, my energy south of the border and, yeah. you know, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely worth considering. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the only other thing I would say like in Canada is like, I think the prairies um, and Alberta, like, you know, 30 years ago, like, or maybe even earlier than that, but like in, for the last century, like uh, Montreal was Canada's city, right? It was. And then, like, nobody really knew about Toronto. And then uh, FLQ stuff happened in, like, the 90s. I think that was kind of, like, when it started to switch. Okay. And then um, Toronto very much became Canada's city. I could see Calgary usurping Toronto as Canada's city. And in, in not, not today, but, like, I think that that 50-year process that yeah. happened between Montreal and, and Toronto could start taking place or has started taking place right now. 
Like I, yeah, Alberta is certainly popular. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little overbought right now, but I could mm. be wrong. But like, it, you know, it, it it rides those like recessionary cycles. Like it's it, they like if, if you look at like Ontario mig- migration out of Ontario, perfectly um, good recessionary indicator is like people leaving Ontario and then people going to Alberta. Perfect recessionary indicator. <laughs> so in on, Alberta population inflows and it's like oil. You know, you, so, oil's down. They're not doing new projects. People are still uh, migrating there. No, so uh, or migrating away right before recession. Migration yeah. into Alberta peaks. So usually yeah. when you're yeah. seeing like a huge inflationary spike as a result of oil. Yeah, and then yeah. before the demand destruction takes place. Yeah, um, that's when Alberta's like just ripping, and that's like they're yeah. there right now. Like they're it's crazy. It's I funny. Think. I had friends that were out there and they came back what like five years ago, and then I. Had other friends go out there like two years ago mm-hmm. we can't we can't buy anything here we're yeah. going out to calgary but you know you can't buy yeah. anything Cal- i mean calgary is a five cap city like i mean people sending yeah. me all these deals like for the yeah. oh mli select this i'm like i can't just yeah. literally i can't do that deal yeah right like it's like i'll just do the same deal in toronto <laughs> yeah yeah actually jake my brother-in-law was saying the same thing he said yeah. like, people are sending me these alberta deals he's like it's like i don't get it yeah you could do that deal here yeah, yeah. except you got you know different landlord rules but yeah i guess yeah. that's the, really the yeah. only difference yeah right? and a big difference at that it is yeah but uh anyways uh daniel appreciate you coming over yeah, and great just chat. you know just shooting the stuff about uh the economy and it, it was it was interesting i really liked it so is there yeah, anything you wanted to share and of course um you know let people know where they can find you um no i mean i think that we've covered everything um you can find me just my last name is very unique so f-o-c-h daniel foch on uh, just google it and it'll probably bring you to whatever social media platform uh, you're most likely to to click on I'm, i try and be on everything if there's a platform that i'm not on that you want to see me on I, I, you know, just let me know um and then we have um the canadian real estate investor podcast which is it, it's i mean we didn't want to enter the space like doing interviews because i feel like you've done you've like I mean, you've really cornered that market in Canadian real estate, done a way better job at it. So it was like, yeah, let's not try and compete with that. So it's very research-based, um, like it's, it's, and sometimes very like elementary, but sometimes like, you know, we cover a lot of news and just go through like a, a lot of yeah. that stuff. So it's really more like a, I don't know, I don't know how, what I could compare it to, but, um, but it, you know, just, just really just two host research talking yeah. about, about. So an expanded version of what you put out sort of on your social media. Yeah. 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 Which is a lot of just like, insightful stuff thanks yeah interesting points to know about um and uh there was one thing i was gonna ask you oh yeah like team wise you must have a little social media team helping you put all this stuff out or is it all you every different platform yeah i've just like so i i just like really drilled down on on um like what's the mvp for like content right and it's like um be like be right is like probably the 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 most important part because when you're wrong then it sucks and then Um, and it can be a headache because people telling you you're wrong is time consuming. Yeah. And then, um, and then like get it out in the, in the most, not digestible, but like most likely medium to succeed. And so yeah. I did those two things and I was like, like, I can't even make, um, the like nice looking videos on like, uh, Instagram and TikTok Cause my, like they just, they fail for my audience because, I've built such an audience that it's so used to seeing like my absolute like dog shit. Like, yeah, your green green, green screen, screen like yeah. me just like bad lighting and bad audio, you know. And so, um, yeah. So I just like the, I just made it super easy. Like I can go and if I had like a ten minutes in the in the um, parking lot here before this, I could just shoot a, a video. Like, that's sweet, so, man. Yeah, so yeah. You just got to get it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't have a team. Um, that's really cool though, because I would say like now going against the grain is doing what you're doing. Like, yeah, because everybody's doing the really polished yeah. looking yeah. stuff. Just do the, the raw ones. The yeah. raw ones, they stand out now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, let's uh, let's stay in touch and do this again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. And now a word from our sponsor, Control and Compound. Here's how infinite banking works in under 60 seconds. You have to save your money somewhere. Well, we think the best place to save it is inside a cash value life insurance policy. You save some money in there, it grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Then an opportunity or emergency comes comes along. Let's say a few years down the road, you can buy a business, buy a property, buy an income-producing asset. You leverage the infinite banking policy, borrow against your asset, take advantage of the opportunity. But your money still stays in the infinite banking policy. You're not borrowing your money. You're borrowing the insurance company's money. So your money's in the policy, it's in the opportunity, and it's providing a death benefit. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You get to retirement, you have this massive cash value, life insurance, leverage that tax-free, and you don't repay those loans. You sit on the beach and you spend that money tax-free every month. 
doesn't show up on a tax return, and you leave your family a huge tax-free death benefit. For more information, visit www.controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines.